From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we usually have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area, but today is another expert series episodes where today's topic being on using benchmarking to create a holistic employee mental health strategy. With me today to talk about this topic, I have my regular co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you, Joel? Well, I'm all right, Jason, but more importantly, how are you? I'm, I'm doing all right, despite, um, yeah, a late night out on a school night with uh, Peter Kelly and uh, Kate Field. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> so, listeners, Jason is currently in London, um, while the rest of us are back here in Perth uh, keeping things running. Um, and this is an out-of-sync um, episode as well. So, um, you, yeah, it, the next episode that you'll hear next week, um, Jason will still be around. So, um Apologies for the uh, lack of continuity there. <laughs> yeah, we really need someone who manages the continuity, don't we? Um, just like that. I think I just did it okay. I think our listeners are intelligent enough to understand what's going on, and if, if you'd I, I don't think they'll hold it against us. They probably wouldn't have realised that you hadn't said anything. I, I don't think that they're that, that dumb, Jason. They, they would have noticed. <laughs> didn't say they were dumb. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. So, uh, you know, London's nice. Uh, people here are great. I, I ran into Louise Hoskin just randomly uh, in the road yesterday um, and she was freaked out. She was like, do you know how many millions of people there are in this city? And we just run into each other on the road. And it was strange because just like minutes before that, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to like run into anyone that I know. And then I did. So uh, it's very much like Perth, I've got to say London. Um, very similar sized cities. You uh, obviously... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> London's just a big country uh, town, just like Perth. It sounds like it. It's the only explanation. Must be. Must be. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we had some hail here this morning. Did you freak out? Yes. I'm, I had, no, I was at home, so everything was safe. Uh, so your uh, ceiling, and, oh, sorry, roof has been fixed? It has been, yes. The roof's been replaced, yep. That's good. Doesn't need replacing again. The hail wasn't that big. I well, I don't know. I haven't been up there to look at it. Okay, no, fair enough. Um, so yeah, no. Look, looking forward to talking about this topic today. Um, uh, and yeah, looking forward to catching up with a bunch of people this week uh, while I'm here in London, and then catching up uh, with a bunch of people all at once at the Wellbeing at Work Summit on Tuesday next week. So um, that will be great. But um, today, as I mentioned at the top, we're going to be um, discussing a, a new topic, and that's around uh, using benchmarking for creating a holistic employee mental health strategy. Um, listeners who can't tune in for the whole episode should check out a new website we've put together on the topic, including a special offer for a campaign that will be running this October to coincide with World Mental Health Week. The site is www.mentalhealthbenchmark.com. You'll find the link in the show notes if Joel remembers to put them in. Um, I but will. Joelle, I always remember. Yeah, you do. Haven't let you haven't let listeners down yet. Um, so when you hear the same benchmarking, what do you think? 
Um, I think, well, now I think about all of the work that we've been doing on our benchmarking tool and Delphi methodology and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that that's maybe swayed my thinking about it. But um, before that, I think back to other tools that I've seen or um, seen the results of, they would tend to focus on like sort of personal illness type outcomes. So like what proportion of this group, whether it's a workforce or some other sort of part of the population, um, has these different sort of levels or severities of symptoms um, or else from a um, workplace like organisational perspective, it might be more focused on like the employee benefits side of mental health. So, you know, do we have an EAP? Do we um, have a, you know, mental health first aid um, system? Do we provide awareness training? Do we, you know, do the stigma reduction stuff, those types of things? Yeah, and, and I've seen similar for sure, um, particularly around, you know, uh, when companies want to be awarded like a gold certificate or whatever for, you know, having a mentally healthy workplace. There's a lot of checkbox things. And as you say, there's a large focus on either individuals or more awareness raising type activities. And I think the other thing that I've noticed with a lot of those um, benchmarking tools is that um, it's very easy to just sort of click through the answers because you want to see what the questions are. Um, and I remember I was actually doing one of those as we were thinking about our tool and thinking, well, I wonder how many people actually do this. They're not really answering the questions properly. They're just clicking through to see what the questions are. Um, and then, you know, does that actually go into that pool of data that's used for benchmarking and how accurate actually is that pool of data then that's used to benchmark against if, you know, 30% of it is just people being nosy. Yeah, and look, we definitely have that uh, ourselves with a, um, a simple tool that we've got called the Mental Health Audit, uh, which is just 14 questions. And yeah, and we make it freely available for people to go on. You know, there's no doubt to me that at least 50% of that data is crap. <laughs> so the benchmark yeah. actually means nothing. Yeah, and uh, you've got to yeah, well, that and yeah. that's it. So um, you started, I guess, thinking about this different um, approach to mental health benchmarking. Um, what got you thinking about that? Well, it was actually, um, it was interesting. Only a couple of months ago, we had uh, one of our partners out in Canada uh, mention to us, hey, you've got all the technology available. Um, you are interested in using data to inform better mental health practice. Have you thought about benchmarking? And at the time, I thought, well, isn't there a lot of benchmarks out there already, as we've discussed? And then as we also discussed, I realised, well, there's a lot that can be improved with uh, how we assess what companies are doing around workplace mental health and the benefits that might have. And so as uh, we kind of have talked about already, you know, uh, most benchmarking is focused on the wrong things. So it's either focused on reactive benefits like EAP or mental health first aid training or, you know, people talking from lived experience um, or it's focused on individual behaviours or even symptoms of, of mental illness like depression and anxiety rather than evaluating the systems that a company puts in place to prevent harm. Um, so given the increased understanding of psychological health and safety and the importance of taking a systems level approach to employee mental health, 
Uh, I think what we need to do is really make sure that when a company is evaluating holistically their approach to employee wellbeing, that they need to understand that they need to look at that prevent harm and, and psychosocial risk management piece as well. Uh, there's also um, another thing that kind of came to mind when we started looking at benchmarking and and uh, it was actually interesting because one of our previous guests, Hilary Bennett from New Zealand, had uh, put out a paper just in uh, June or July of this year um, talking about, well, what actually works when it comes to workplace mental health. Um, and so the things that there's a good evidence base around are things like flexible working arrangements, um, organisational justice, um, tolerable work demands, all these sorts of things. Um, but they said the jury's still out on things like resilience training and mental health first aid and uh, mindfulness apps and, and that sort of thing. So given that we've got a technology platform where we can at scale consult with the workforce, um, as well as enabling uh, HR and health and safety practitioners to do a, a self-audit of the systems and interventions that they've got in place, we can actually marry the two. So um, hopefully what we're able to do is to go, well, these are the things that actually move the dial in relation to workplace mental health and really contribute to that evidence base about what works because there's there's not enough data uh, to inform these things. Yeah, definitely um, the, the issue with, yeah, the relationship between interventions and outcomes um, just hasn't been um, well assessed at all. And as, you know, as we had um, Don McCreary on a while ago sort of um, saying similar things there. Uh, so, yeah, the I think the ability to do some robust evaluations of the relationship between different types of interventions or systems and their relationship with employee outcomes uh, would definitely be valuable. Yeah, um, and the sort of scale that we can we can get this data at would be, um, yeah, really create a very solid evidence base, I think. Um, and we can uh, compare things that maybe haven't been compared so well as before, like uh, the provision of a mindfulness app versus a continuous improvement approach to psychosocial risk management. Um, so I really hope to be able to demonstrate through the data collected through this tool um, that things like just engaging an EAP vendor, that doesn't move the needle uh, in relation to employment or health. Um, but hey, if you were to mature that system uh, or that intervention in a way where you know it is continuously improving your understanding what are the barriers for people accessing the service, um, you're making sure that the quality of that service is being monitored and, and improved as well. Then hopefully over time, it does end up having more of a positive impact on employee mental health. Um, but I guess, you know, it's not just one system or intervention versus another, but it's also the maturity of those systems as well and, and how well those systems are, um, you know, are improving over time. So, um, Joel, we, we've listened to some wise academics in our network and uh, enlisted the help of 40 workplace mental health experts from six countries to help us to define a framework for the benchmarking that we're doing, as well as questions to measure that maturity that we're talking about of various workplace mental health systems and interventions. Uh, as we always do, we've taken the lead from uh, the best practice framework known as the Integrated Model of Workplace Mental Health from uh, Anthony LaMontagna, who we've had on episode 55 of the podcast for those who might want to check that out. Um, but for our listeners who don't have time to get up to episode 55, and they really should find the time if they haven't already, um, can you maybe just describe that model briefly in the three levels of intervention? Yes, I can't do it the justice that um, that Tony can, but um, I'll, I will do my best, listeners. Um, so essentially, um, 
the integrated model is talking about having systems and interventions in place to cover the full spectrum of um, employee mental health from those who are experiencing symptoms of ill health um, through to those who are, you know, at a, in a state of flourishing um, and really having um, good coverage across, across that spectrum of mental health. Um, so the integrated model talks about three pillars um, that it groups these um, systems and interventions within. Um, and so the three pillars uh, prevent harm, promote flourishing and respond to ill health. Um, and so the respond to ill health is sort of the pillar that organisations tend to address first and most consistently. Uh, and that's where we do see um, things like your employee assistance program um, sitting under that type of a pillar. Um, our promote flourishing pillar uh, is where we would look at, um, you know, positive psychology interventions, um, giving people, you know, strengths-based um, activities or, or coaching and that kind of thing. Um, and then in the prevent harm side of it is, is where we tend to see the largest gaps in organisations and that's really what we spend the majority of our um, podcast talking about is how do we actually get a better understanding of um, the psychosocial hazards that are present in our organisation, how do we understand the risk associated with that, um, what are the interventions we should put in place to mitigate that risk, but also how do we embed those approaches within our broader management system to make sure that they're sustainable. Yeah. Uh, look, you, you acquitted yourself well there, Joelle. So, um, Gosh, thanks. <laughs> well, uh, that's why you paid the big bucks, right? So, sure. um, <laughs> so there's the three levels, right? And so that's why, um, I guess, and we talked about it up the top, uh, a lot of benchmarking or um, self-audits done of workplace mental health practices might focus simply on the mitigate illness. Maybe they add in the provoke flourishing piece. Um, but really for a holistic approach um, to really understand how a company is addressing the needs of employees across the mental health continuum, you need that prevent harm piece uh, in the middle as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, you you did mention, and we'll mention it again because it's an important point, we have enlisted the help of uh, 40 or more international experts to help us with the design of our benchmarking tool, um, and it is focused on assessing the maturity of workplace mental health systems and interventions. So before we actually go into more of what that process looked like, um, can you explain to our listeners, um, and I say this with no irony, what do we mean, Jason, when we say maturity? <laughs> so you're saying I'm not the best person to explain what maturity is? I, I said that I said it without irony. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about maturity models, not maturity from a lived experience. Let's um, talk about systems maturity instead of personal yeah. maturity. How about that? <laughs> so, look, uh, maturity models can be a useful diagnostic tool to help determine problem areas and areas for improvement. Uh, maturity generally refers to how effective a system or intervention is likely to be at having the desired impact on, on outcomes. So when we started thinking about maturity when it comes to workplace mental health, we really looked at low maturity systems or interventions being characterised by ad hoc activities, being reactive, non-strategic, and maybe even focus on awareness raising as opposed to creating impacts and positive outcomes. Um, high maturity, on the other hand, is characterised by more uh, leadership support, uh, and we talk about uh, leadership support 
across the business, not just, you know, an exec sponsor, but hey, it's, it's every level. Um, integration into other business systems and processes, uh, data-informed decision-making, and continuous improvement. Um, and really, if you look at uh, systems maturity models uh, in relation to anything, whether it's information security um, systems, whether it's um, safety systems, then continuous improvement is typically um, the, the highest level, I guess, where you're just making iterative improvements over time based on quantitative data that you're collecting. So um, is there any other way that you'd consider maturity um, when it comes to workplace mental health? I, th- I think what's probably important to point out here is that, like, if, if I think about other types of um, maturity models, um, a lot of the time it's like a progression from one level of maturity to the next um, and you sort of need to get to level two before you can get to level three. Um, I think that in this case, you know, it, it's probably quite likely that we would have organisations who are at a higher level of, of systems maturity um, in, in one pillar and then a lower level in another pillar. Um, so I think that, it, you know, we need to um, allow for that when we're talking about how how progression happens, for example, um, or how, how that process of, of becoming more mature or establishing more mature systems happens. Um, I guess the other way that people might think about maturity from a workplace mental health perspective is to not think about the systems of the organisation but rather think about things like attitudes and behaviours of the members of the organisation um, and use that as a proxy for maturity, um, which I think would probably be a fairly easy mistake to make in this um, context, but it, it would be probably the wrong um, approach to take if you were if you were wanting to look at um, maturity within um, an organisation. Yeah, so um, uh, important to, to recognise when we're talking about maturity of systems um, in our benchmarking, we're actually evaluating the maturity of 10 different systems or, or interventions for workplace mental health, which we'll define uh, in a moment. Um, but then there's this overarching level of maturity as well, right? So that would actually be quite interesting as we start to get data back from organisations, particularly linked to employee mental health outcomes. Um, and and, and wonder, I wonder if there could be like one single score that we develop around, you know, this is how mature the organisation is in total. Um, so we might need someone with uh, a fair bit more nous when it comes to uh, some pretty complex uh, data science, I think, in that, in that regards. Well, almost as if we need to recruit a data scientist, Jason. They're on the way. They're on the way. They're hopefully, before the end of the year, we have someone. Um, we've, got, we've got a couple of people in mind for that role. So We do, yeah. Um, so would you like to tell listeners, I know that you do, um, tell listeners about the process that we followed um, to get to this point? Yeah, so um, as mentioned, one of our uh, people in the network suggested, hey, you know, if you want to really make sure that the tool that you develop um, has great content validity, uh, then follow a Delphi method. Um, And the Delphi method basically uh, is a chance to get anonymous feedback from a group of subject matter experts, um, whereby through various rounds, um, they are giving you uh, feedback, which you're then sharing with the group. No one knows who's actually provided the feedback. Um, and you're allowing people to kind of evolve their, their thinking based on how the group is voting or, or the feedback that's being received. Um, 
the benefit of this approach is uh, in comparison to say a face-to-face workshop where you've got a bunch of subject matter experts around the table you can imagine someone like a Carlo Capanecchia or a Tony Lamontagna, um, what they say would carry maybe more weight uh, in people's minds than what someone maybe with, without that level of experience or academic knowledge. Um, so in a Delphi method, everyone kind of gets to have an equal say and, and not necessarily swayed just because of someone's um, reputation that they're bringing in. Um, so it is, it is actually quite a robust way to get good feedback from a broad range of subject matter experts um, and, you know, uh, hopefully come up with a very valid and um, uh, something that's, that is quite a, a useful tool for organisations to understand uh, where they're at. So we, um, when, when we did um, put our panel together, uh, we had some stipulations. I had to have at least uh, 10 years experience post-qualification, so no grads. Um, they needed to have at least four years experience um, with most of that that was devoted to workplace mental health. Um, and the majority of these people had, you know, well over a decade, if not two decades worth of experience. So uh, we're very fortunate to have quite the network, I guess, through the podcast and, and whatnot. And that, and the people in the, in the uh, Delphi, you know, ranged from academics to practitioners and, and everything in between. Um, and six countries represented as well, um, particularly the countries that we know are, are most advanced when it comes to psychological health and safety in particular, um, being the UK, Canada and, and Australia. So we went through um, a, a few rounds. The first was to agree to the 10 different systems and interventions. Um, and we got the, the, the panel to provide um, feedback on the definitions of those systems and interventions. Um, we shared that feedback with the group with the revised definitions based on the feedback that we got and sought consensus on which pillars out of the integrated model um, that, that they best fitted under. And then what we did internally was develop 10 questions for each of the 10 systems or interventions to help assess their level of maturity. Um, so again, you could think about, you know, early questions being things like, you know, you're doing awareness raising versus the, the highest level of maturity continuous improvement. Um, then we asked the feedback from the group uh, and then the feedback was consolidated, the questions were updated um, and shared back to the group um, for final consensus. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite a um, uh, yeah, good process to make sure that, you know, it's not just us, not just what Flourish DX does, uh, is, is good practice and, and is um, appropriate, um, but getting consensus from, you know, very much world-leading experts in the space. Yeah, and it is an impressive list of names. Um, that we'll be able to uh, have on the front of that um, that benchmarking tool. Um, so that will be exciting when we um, when we're at the point where we're ready to let that out into the wild. Should we maybe talk about what the ten systems and interventions are, Jason? Yeah, probably a good idea. Um, so we landed on um, four systems and interventions under the Respond to Ill Health pillar. Uh, and then three under the prevent harm and promote flourishing. Um, under respond to ill health, one of the most obvious ones that many companies do is around mental ill health education and help seeking. Um, so it's really around, you know, helping people to understand what are the signs and symptoms of mental ill health, um, when and how to get support for oneself, as well as how can you direct your colleagues to support. So think, you know, are you okay? Think, um, you know, leaders getting up and, and presenting, think about formal training, um, that sort of thing. 
another one that's very common uh, in workplaces is uh, peer mental health networks. Um, so we looked at the terminology, do we call it mental health first aid? Do we call it peer support? And we landed on peer mental health network, um, given that some of those terms are, uh, are less, are not necessarily internationally used. Um, but really it is something like mental health first aid or what people uh, are aware of as peer support networks. So having um, a network of trained workers who can confidentially be accessed by their colleagues to discuss mental health concerns. Um, next up, we had professional mental health assistance. So this, I guess, is what a lot of people would refer to as employee assistance programs. Um, and uh, but again, we had to think about the international language and some of the feedback we got from um, some of our international panelists was that EAP wasn't universally understood. So we really just talked about professional mental health assistance, but it is EAP, I guess, because it's support delivered by health professionals for workers with mental wellbeing concerns. Um, and then the other one was around injury management and return to work. So having processes to identify, assess, respond to, support and accommodate workers with disclosed psychological ill health or injury or following a prolonged absence from work. Um, and for those of our listeners who are familiar with um, the ISO 45003 standard, this is actually part of that as well. You know, what sort of accommodations are you making to support workers um, who uh, have ill health at work? or um, returning them to work after an absence. So that's um, the, the respond to ill health pillar. Under the prevent harm pillar, we've got three, and these are all related to more risk management or psychological health and safety, you know, really what is called to this podcast. Um, so the first one we had was another education um, intervention or, or system um, around psychological health and safety. So it's about building awareness of work-related factors that influence worker mental health and ensuring both workers and managers are aware of their responsibilities for managing psychosocial risks in the workplace. And I guess this is a key thing that we often see companies skip over. Um, they go straight to assessing psychosocial hazards or risks um, without necessarily giving the language and um, uh, knowledge to workers about their responsibilities, whether they're uh, workers or, or managers. So um, yeah, I think it's it's useful to have that as another intervention that companies should consider as separate to say mental ill health education. This one specifically around education, around psychosocial and, and psych health and safety. Uh, we then have psychosocial risk management. So um, our listeners who listen to the podcast regularly should know all about this one, but it's the ongoing process of understanding the likelihood and consequence of harm associated with worker exposure to psychosocial hazards and risk reduction through elimination or control of hazards. So um, pretty much, you know, following uh, 45,003, um, uh, what the details that's got around there around uh, understanding hazards, risks and controls. But we also felt that we needed another um, uh, intervention or system underneath the prevent harm pillar. And we were originally looking at having policies and procedures, understanding that policies and procedures are often an administrative control for the control of, of psychosocial hazards. Um, but then we decided to go broader and have management systems as the, as the pillar. So this is then organizational systems, structures and responsibilities that are established to support and maintain the psychosocial risk management process. So, and, and I guess that's something that we've identified too, right, Joel, like working with clients, um, just doing psychosocial risk assessment in isolation doesn't seem to have the desired benefits 
Um, and so really it needs to fit within a, within a system, right? Would you agree? Yeah, it definitely um, needs to be embedded in those management systems so that it does become business as usual. Otherwise, it is, you know, very much treated as a standalone thing. You need to continue to find budget and resources for it. Um, all of those types of issues, you need to still, you know, have a champion um, on, on the board or exec to keep it up and running, um, that kind of thing. Whereas where we can actually embed it into business as usual, um, it just sort of becomes part of those normal processes um, that the organisation follows. So um, it's, it becomes much more sustainable um, taking that approach. Yeah, and then you'll find there's less conflation between psychosocial risk assessment and employee engagement surveys. You know, they're used for different purposes. So if it's within a management system, then um, it's uh, much more likely to be used as intended. Uh, okay, and then the last pillar from the integrated model is promote flourishing. And again, we've got three uh, different interventions underneath this. Um, and we start off again with another education one. So this is mental wellbeing education and tools. So education um, that is evidence-based self uh, and self-help tools to assist workers respond to stresses effectively and optimize their mental health. So as uh, compared with the mental ill health training, which is more focused on signs and, signs and symptoms of illness and how to get support and how to direct colleagues to support, this is more about how do you remain healthy and how do you optimize your wellbeing and, and, and flourish. Um, so this is where you would find, um, you know, resilience training, uh, wellbeing apps, um, but also then, you know, formal training uh, around uh, mental wellbeing as well. Then we have our positive work design. This one was um, probably the one that took a little bit more work with the panelists. Um, so many of the panelists thought, well, positive work design is a control for psychosocial hazards. So really that should probably be under the prevent harm pillar. Um, but what we've done is delineate between, uh, if you think about the demands and resources model, we're looking at psychological health and safety um, and psychosocial risk management being more around understanding the demands or the, the negative influences on, on people's wellbeing and then controlling for those. Um, and then when it comes to positive work design, we're understanding that positive can, uh, sorry, work, if it's designed well, can have a positive impact on, on people's wellbeing. So it's more around what are all the supports and, and, and things that we're doing from the outset, you know, thinking about whether we're giving people a sense of mastery, whether we're giving them a chance to use um, uh, their, their strengths, whether they're uh, able to have positive relationships with their colleagues and whatnot. Then finally, um, the last one we've got is around strength-based in interventions. Um, so if you think about the science of positive psychology, for instance, there's a, a big focus on um, leveraging strengths. And definitely there's a growing uh, body of literature that suggests when people are using their strengths at work, then they're more likely to be more engaged, more productive, but also have high levels of, of well-being. Um, so we define strength-based interventions as identification and use of strengths at work for optimal person job fit, growth and development, and team functioning. So I guess hopefully our listeners listening to those, and again, you can go to the website, um, mentalhealthbenchmark.com, and, and see those and, and the definitions on there because it's probably hard to, to just listen to it and understand. Um, but uh, hopefully you can understand that's quite a holistic way of looking at the the breadth of things that you could be doing around employee mental health. And hopefully you agree with us that it's a nice way of um, intercepting or uh, incorporating more of that risk management based approach 
um, as part of your overall employee mental health strategy. Yeah, and so the idea there with those um, 10 systems and interventions is that you would have um, sort of representatives from the human resources and health and safety teams within an organisation and potentially somebody from, from the exec or, or something like that who would actually go through that self-audit and answer those questions. Um, you also mentioned um, that we've got the ability to do some employee consultation as well. So would you like to talk about that? Yeah, um, that's right. So given in its World Mental Health Day next month, uh, it would be great timing, we felt, for a campaign um, where on top of a self-reflection on current systems of interventions for workplace mental health that, like you say, HR and health and safety ideally would sit down and, and do together, that employees are also able to provide input into their lived experience to give more of a complete picture. Uh, and it kind of then would help companies, I guess, fulfil part of their, their duty um, of care uh, to consult with, with workers about their, their experience of uh, work and, and psychosocial hazards in particular. So there's two steps to the employee consultation piece. So first, using our mental wellbeing checking tool to assess current mood. Um, we also use that to identify psychosocial hazards. Um, then we also collect some information on things like burnout level, mental health stigma, psychosocial safety climate and the like, which is valuable baseline data uh, together in order to reassess down the track to see if you know improving our overall employment or strategy actually helps to improve these metrics, which you'd hope they would. Um, we really kept survey fatigue in mind with this, so all measures are very concise. Um, so that should take no longer than five minutes for most uh, employees to complete and can be accessed really easily via a URL or a QR code that people can scan uh, on their phone and do. So we believe that this extra data piece will be hugely beneficial to add to the evidence base around what works as well uh, in workplace mental health. Um, it'll also helpfully provide evidence towards a compelling business case why organisations should consider less common and maybe more difficult practices such as psychosocial risk management. Um, but we, we obviously believe that they have a much larger benefit for employee wellbeing because what we're able to do, I guess, by having that employee voice as well as the self-audit and linking them together is we'll start to be able to understand, you know, what what does work. And, uh, you know, if we hit our target of having 100 plus uh, companies participate in, in this, then it'll be a very rich data set for us to interrogate. So um, leading on from that then, um, obviously we want companies to um, to participate so that we can actually have that um, that data set um, and that they'll benefit from that ability to benchmark as well. Um, and normally we don't really talk about our products and services that much on this podcast. Um, this episode being an expert series, um, sometimes we do take that opportunity a bit more and obviously we have been spending the entire episode talking about this fantastic new tool that we've been developing. Um, so if listeners are still listening, uh, do they have a, a special offer that they can take up? Yeah, so uh, first of all, we should just make it clear that the benchmarking service is only available for larger companies who have more than 250 employees. Um, we felt that it's unlikely smaller organisations would have the resources to be able to properly execute on, you know, the 10 different systems that we've just outlined. Um, so, uh, yes, just to be clear, uh, if you are in a smaller organization, um, it's not available because it's, you know, the, the data and the questions that we ask probably aren't going to be relevant for your size of, of organization. 
for those listeners who are in large companies that have more than 250 workers, um, you can participate in the benchmarking from the beginning of October for free. So that includes both the self-order uh, as well as the use of the employee check-in survey. Uh, as part of the free offering, organisations get, get access to a live dashboard of results to both the self-audit and the employee uh, wellbeing results uh, until the end of December. And we'll be adding in the benchmark comparison scores to the dashboards by the end of November. So the idea is that we do a big data gathering exercise in October. We then compile the, the benchmark results and then provide that comparison uh, in, the, in the free dashboard uh, online so that companies can see how they're going in comparison to to other companies who participated. Um, if companies want more than just the free offering, which you get quite a bit in the free offering, um, but they, they can uh, purchase things like data exports, reports, um, and even consulting through either Flourish DX, so myself, Joelle and Alicia in particular, uh, or uh, through our partners. And we are partnering with you know, brokers, insurers and the like, uh, who are also making this available to their clients. Fantastic. So um, for listeners who have just um, taken that in and gone, yes, I want to get on board and be part of that fantastic opportunity. Um, where do they find out more and register? So we'll put the link in the show notes, but uh, we have a website um, specifically for the benchmarking, which is at mentalhealthbenchmark.com. Um, and yeah, you'll find uh, information about it. You can read up on the development and, and look at those 10 systems again. Um, and you can see the different packages that we have available, including what's available in the free option, and sign up through through the form at the bottom of the page. So there you have so, it, listeners. Um, hopefully, we have some. Yeah, hopefully we've got some listeners who are keen to uh, take us up. We love giving away stuff for free, so um, yeah, hopefully there'll be a few people participate and we get some great data out of it. That's the plan. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, listeners, that brings us to the end of a weird episode. And uh, apologies, you know, Joelle and I speaking over each other a little bit. There's a little bit of a delay with Joelle being, you know, in Perth and me being in London. Uh, but hopefully you were able to gather, uh, catch that. Like we said, there is the website to go to to find out more information. Uh, as always, we'll be putting some clips up on the Flourish TX LinkedIn page. Um, you can also catch video on the Flourish TX YouTube channel um, and connect with us uh, over LinkedIn if you want to discuss this opportunity or, or any of the other things that we discuss in more detail. So that brings us to the end of this expert series episode. We'll catch you next one. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.